Well, as Dan said, we are beginning a new sermon series today. We're calling it Walk by the Spirit, which I take from Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So this is a uh, series about living independence upon the Holy Spirit for the Christian life. So my goal this morning is to explain why we need to do that and hopefully excite you about the possibilities of what God will do as we're faithful in that. So if you have a copy of a Bible with you, I uh, invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24 where we're going to begin our journey. We're going to read verses 44 to 49 and then we'll skip over to Acts chapter 1 where we'll also read verses 6 through 9. So let's get right to that. Luke 24, starting in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold... I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts chapter 1, starting verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Let's pray. We're going to begin, Lord, looking into what you said and did in those moments and what it means for us and what it meant for the church then and now. We have much to learn about your spirit and his place in our life. And so we ask you now, we ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be active right now in illumination, in understanding, opening up our eyes to see you more and more in your glory and to participate more fully in your mission to spread the gospel to every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So now we invite you, Holy Spirit, do your work among us and glorify Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Before we return to the passage that I just read, I want to begin by saying something that is going to sound like heresy to many of you. At least I hope it does. I hope you are 
a little concerned by what I'm going to say. And then after I say it and I make a case for it, I'm going to say it again, adding four words that should make you feel much better. (laughs) But I wanted to say it in this order uh, for a reason. Here's the statement that may sound like heresy. God's word is not enough to transform people. I heard a gasp. (laughs) You heard that right. God's word is not enough to transform people. I hope that makes you uncomfortable. I hope you're wondering where I'm going with that, because if you know your Bibles, you can come up with verses that would suggest otherwise. Let me just name a few. For example, Jeremiah 23, 29, in the New American Standard, God says, Is not my word like fire and like a hammer which shatters a rock? That sounds pretty transformative to me. Fire doesn't leave things unchanged. A rock that encounters the hammer and is shattered has been changed. And God says, my word has that kind of transforming power. You might also think about Jesus saying in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification is the process of being transformed or changed in your character and in your life to become like Jesus. And Jesus says the environment in which that change happens is the truth. It is God's Word that is truth. And of course we have Romans 1.16, where I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. There isn't anything more transformative than salvation. Going from dead in your trespasses and sins to glory with Jesus in the new world. That's what the salvation journey is. Everything God does from dead to alive with Christ and with Christ in a new body eternally. And God's word says that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is the power to do that. So... How can you say, Pastor Mark, that God's word is not enough to transform people? That does sound like heresy, given verses like these. So, I think, though, that you have to agree with me that it isn't enough. Because of biblical examples and your own experience. For example, consider what happened when Stephen addressed the Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 7. He was arrested and he was accused of undermining the Jewish religion because he was preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. So they put him in the dock and they said, give account for yourself. And then Stephen proceeds to go on and give an amazing sermon. He starts with Abraham and goes to Moses, and goes to the kings and the prophets, and he goes through this whole history of Israel. He lays out the whole, everything that's happened, all of God's dealings with Israel. He's overflowing with the knowledge of God. It's just full of good stuff. And then he ends with this call to the Jewish leaders to repent, because just like their forefathers who killed the prophets that God sent to them, they did the same thing. By killing Jesus, he says in 
Acts 7.52, they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. So, great sermon, full of Bible, full of truth. What was their response? When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. They weren't changed. They heard God's word spoken clearly and powerfully and it didn't transform them. In fact, it hardened them and they did the same thing to Stephen. They stoned him to death. We have many examples like that in the book of Acts where scripture is taught, God's word comes forth clearly, and it has mixed results. Some people believe, some people don't know what to do with it, and some are hardened. It does not transform everybody. And if you're honest with yourself, you have to admit that on any given day, you aren't changed by it either, so far as you can tell. We struggle to remember what last week's sermon was about. By the end of the day, you probably don't remember what you read that morning. That happens to me. There are things in your life that you want to change that you know are wrong, and you know what God's Word says about it, and yet they're not changing despite your knowledge. So I think we have to say, both by the Scriptures and by experience, that God's Word is not enough to transform people. And that might sound like a terrible way to introduce a new series from God's Word. <laughs> Talk about demotivators. <laughs> Why should I listen to anything else? <laughs> Hear me out. Let me add four words to that statement so you see where I'm going with this. God's Word is not enough to transform people without the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God must be active through the Word and apart from the Word in order for the Word to transform lives, both our lives and those of people who have yet to put their trust in Jesus. Without the Spirit, nothing happens. That becomes clear as we think about the passage that we read from Luke and Acts. So let's go back to Luke 24 and notice some things. Here you have Jesus making his first appearance after rising from the dead to the eleven and some other disciples. And they can hardly believe their senses. They, they, they think, is this really him? <laughs> but it's really him. He's really there. He's really risen from the dead. He's there in the room. And it says, beginning verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. What's happening here? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He, he says the, 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 the law and, and the prophets and the psalms Things were written, and they were written about me. They were written about my suffering and my death and my resurrection. It was all there, but you never got it. And if you 
know what happens in the Gospels, and you see the life of the disciples as they're walking with Jesus, they're always not quite getting it. <laughs> they, they have a different idea about Jesus and about what the Messiah is going to do and about what salvation looks like. They never quite put two and two together, and now the resurrected Jesus comes and he opens their minds and they see it. Ah, <laughs> that's what you've been talking about. That's what Moses was talking about, and the Psalms, and the prophets, that there was going to be a Messiah who would die and rise again, and there would be forgiveness in his name as the people put their trust in him as their substitute. Now I get it. <laughs> he opened their minds to understand the gospel and the scriptures that point to the gospel. And his charge was, now go and preach this, beginning from Jerusalem to all nations, proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name. We might think at this point, okay, they're ready to go. They've got understanding of the word of God now. They know the true gospel, so let's get going on the mission. And that would be enough if God's word was enough to transform people. But Jesus says, that's not enough. You need one more thing. Verse 49, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You're not ready yet. You need to be clothed with power from God or you won't get anywhere. What is that power? Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the power for the mission. If you go preaching forgiveness of sins in my name without the Holy Spirit, nothing's going to happen. The word is not enough, even though now you understand it correctly. You also need the Spirit, so wait right here until he comes and clothes you with that power. And then when you preach the word, it's going to transform people's lives. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. Spirit is poured out on the disciples. They go out into the streets. They preach the gospel, and thousands respond. And so it is through the whole book of Acts. Town after town, city after city, the gospel is preached. People are changed, and day by day, the Lord is adding the number of those who are being saved. But first, the Spirit had to come and give them power. Here's the point that I want to make from all this. It seems to me that as a church, we are strong in understanding the Word of God. But we are not as strong in relying on the Spirit of God. We operate on half of what is needed to see transformation happen. And that is largely my fault. And I don't mean that the Spirit hasn't been active among us. Far from it. The Spirit indwells every believer in this room. He empowers every gift that we have. He opens each of our minds to understand God's Word. He creates fellowship among us. 
all of that happens. The Holy Spirit is with us, is working among us. We are a healthy church in many ways. But I don't think that I've done enough to lead us in pursuing and depending upon and expecting the power of the Spirit in our lives. And I want that to change because what was necessary for the early disciples is necessary for us also. I think about the challenges of being a Christian in a post-Christian world. That was our last series from 1 Peter. It's tough to stay faithful to Jesus and to Scripture when there's so much that's against that in our culture. How do you raise your family uh, to love Christ in the world that doesn't love Christ? How do you build a church to love Christ in that same environment? I think about the video course that Dan and Todd and I are taking from Tim Keller. It's about how to bring the gospel to your city. And I think this is hard. This is complicated. You think about the, the, the city we live in. There are 140 different nations in this city. Plus, 10% of the city is foreign-born. So we've got this range of ethnic, racial diversity, different languages, completely different cultures. And we've got the range of religious views, everything from churched people who feel very safe in their morals to unchurched people who seem to have no morals. How do we cross into that world? How do we cross racial and ethnic boundaries? How are you going to reach your atheist neighbor? How are you going to reach your LGBT coworker? How do we get over our internal reluctance and fears and desire for comfort in order to make a real difference for Jesus in people's lives? For the most part, functionally, my answer has been teaching the Word of God is enough. That if you just teach the right things, then the right things will happen. Breakthroughs will happen. Miracles will happen. The church will grow. The city will be reached. And I don't for a moment downplay the importance of teaching the right things. We have to and we will continue to teach God's Word with a passion as God gives us grace to do it. But teaching God's Word isn't enough by itself to do any of those things. We also need the Spirit to clothe us with power. What we need to do is position ourselves to receive the full range of the Spirit's operations which he has used and which he will continue to use to build the church and advance the gospel. We need a combination of word and spirit to transform us and our city. I took a course from Sam Storms at the Pastors College. Two years ago, exactly this day was the last day of the class. It was on pneumatology, which is a big theological word for the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And Sam gave a list of characteristics of what he called word churches and spirit churches. Word churches are those that highly value the preaching of God's word, but who don't leave room for the Spirit of God to operate in other ways. Spirit churches are those that highly value the broad ministry of the Spirit, but leave less room for a serious pursuit of God's Word. There are strengths and weaknesses in both sides. 
When Sam described word churches and spirit churches, it was clear to me immediately that our church is solidly on the word side, not as much on the spirit side. For example, he said, word churches want predictability. If it isn't in the bulletin, it's not allowed. <laughs> that describes me to a T. <laughs> Spirit churches, on the other hand, value spontaneity. Who needs a bulletin? <laughs> Let's just show up and let the Spirit work. That unnerves me. He had other comparisons that were all very insightful. The answer isn't necessarily that we swing all the way over to the other side or fall somewhere in the, in the middle, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Sometimes it's both and. But what I learned from the exercise is that functionally, we're solidly on that word side and not as much on the spirit side. The biblical church is a word and spirit church. And it's a church that's anchored in the clear, accurate teaching of God's Word, and that leaves room for the Spirit of God to empower that teaching and do things outside of that teaching for the good of the church and the reaching of our city. So this series is about becoming a Word and Spirit church, or growing in it. That's the goal. Now what could this mean for our church life what would it look like if we were more intentional about relying on the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, that's what the whole series is about. That's not a one-message deal. Uh, we're going to take through the summer to talk about this. Today, I just want to introduce it by talking about expectations. What can we expect God to do if we venture forth on mission with Jesus, relying on both the Word and the Spirit? So for that, I want to take you to Acts chapter 10 and make some observations. You can turn there. If you have a Bible, we'll stay, stay in there the rest of the time. I won't read the whole thing. It's, it's a long chapter, but I'll read parts of it as we go along. Chapter 10 is Peter's first real venture in, out of his comfort zone into the world of the Gentiles. Jesus had already given him understanding of God's Word. We, we heard about that in Luke 24. He had poured out His Spirit upon them. That happened in chapter 2. But now, Peter has spent pretty much his whole time since then in Jerusalem. He hasn't strayed very far from the Jewish environment that he's comfortable with. But now, he has taken a trip to a place called Joppa, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and that's where he gets summoned to come to the home of a Gentile, which he's never been in before, never been in a Gentile's home. So this is Peter going outside of his com comfort zone. It's an account that I think says something to us as we venture forth like Peter into the unknown, relying upon an understanding of the Word and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So I want to point out four things we can expect God to do as we go forth as a word and spirit church. The first one is this. We'll see all these from the text as we go. Number one, we can expect God to be working apart from us. 
We can expect God to be working apart from us. In verse 1, we hear of the man named Cornelius. He's a centurion from the Italian cohort. So that means he's a Roman from Rome, a genuine Gentile, and an important military guy. So he's considered unclean by the Jews. This is a person not permitted to go into the temple in Jerusalem. This is a person whom a Jew thought it was unlawful to visit in their home because it would defile them. But it says that Cornelius is a devout man who feared God, praying, who prayed continually to God. That means he is a, a God-fearer, we call them, someone who worships the God of the Jews Though he's not circumcised, he's not a full convert to Judaism, we'd call him today a religious man who does not know Jesus. Religious but not a Christian. Here's what happens when Cornelius is praying one day, starting in verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. Now, this is the event that sends Cornelius eventually to trusting Jesus as Savior. And it comes in the form of a vision of an angel of God. I'll come back to the topic of visions in the next point, but for now, notice this. God was working on Cornelius completely apart from Peter. Peter doesn't know Cornelius exists. If he did know, he would never go into his house. Cornelius is completely out there somewhere, out of Peter's thoughts entirely, but God is thinking about Cornelius, and God is coming to Cornelius and brings him a vision of himself and says, I want you to do something, go ask for Peter. Do you expect God to be doing things like that in our day? Do you think that the Spirit of God could be operating on someone right now, placing something in their minds that makes them suddenly open to the gospel, completely apart from you. I think we should expect that. We can become cynical, I think, at least I can be, because of our cultural setting. We might think, well, America is becoming a secular place. Nobody is interested in God. Everyone is set on their own pursuits of happiness, all of that apart from Christ. It's just too hard to do anything about it. I'll never be smart enough to convince anyone to trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. But do we believe that God can supernaturally intervene? That he is working apart from us? That he, as he said to the Apostle Paul, I have many people in this city. Do we believe that? Do we expect that? I think God would have us expect that he is working apart from us. To be following the Spirit, I think, means to believe the Spirit is doing something. (laughs) 
To be open to the Spirit is to believe and to expect God to be working apart from us. He's doing a decisive work, making the soil ready to receive the good seed of the gospel. Here's another thing we can expect as we grow in becoming a Word and Spirit church. We can expect God to speak to us directly. We can expect God to speak to us directly. By that I mean we can expect God to speak to us not only through His written Word, but also apart from His Word. And that's a dangerous thing to say. Because that can be totally misunderstood. So we'll have sermons on that (laughs) to make sure we don't go astray. But we have an example of this in what happens to Peter. Totally oblivious to Cornelius, Peter is also praying. And here's what happens while he's praying. Verse 10, He fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. And immediately after this episode, messengers arrive at the door asking for Peter to come and visit Cornelius. And when Peter goes with these men, he realizes that this vision is not about food, but it's about people. He realizes it's about people like Cornelius, because in verse 28, he says, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. In other words, the gospel is for everyone, not just the Jews. So we ask, how did Peter come to this understanding? God spoke to him directly in a vision, timed exactly to coincide with the arrival of Gentile messengers. This is God specifically speaking to Peter about something he didn't yet understand, which was the implications of the gospel for all people. You see, Peter at this point still has this ingrained belief that he shouldn't go into a Gentile's home. And this is blocking him from leading the church into a bold cross-cultural mission into non-Jewish territory. And his cultural bias was so ingrained that God gives him a vision and an encounter that forces him to reevaluate what he believes and to see the difference between what is cultural and what is biblical. Even a blind man could see that the timing of the vision and the men of the door was no coincidence. They were related. God is saying to To Peter, the gospel is for the Gentiles. The gospel is for the nations. Cross the cultural boundaries and bring them the good news. So, to be open to the Spirit is to be open to God speaking directly to us. We need a category for God speaking to us outside of His Word to give us new insight and application of His Word. And I know that that sounds dangerous, and that is dangerous. 
Because that could open the door to letting our own ideas and our own experiences determine what is and isn't truth. We don't want to go down that road. This written word is still the only authoritative source of truth. We've got to be anchored to it, chained to it. And yet, God spoke to Peter outside of that, which gave him new insight to what was in there and an immediate application and broke down a stronghold in his life, a bias in his life, a cultural misunderstanding. To be open to the Spirit means we're open to God's revelation in general, even when it comes in unconventional ways. I put prophecy, tongues, the utterance of knowledge, visions, and other things in that category. Those are also ways that God speaks to us. They're strange, but they're in the Bible. They were part of what Jesus is using to build his church. So we must be open to them. Here's a third thing we can expect as a word and spirit church. We can, be, we can expect to be placed in ministry situations that require dependence on the Spirit. We can expect to be placed in ministry situations that require dependence on the Spirit. Moving forward in the story, Peter goes to the home of Cornelius. He obeys God. He crosses out of his comfort zone, goes into a Gentile home, and he asks... Why did you send for me? Because he still doesn't know. God hasn't told him why he needs to go there. Cornelius tells his story. I saw a vision and an angel told me that I should send for you. And then he ends with verse 33. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine what Peter must have been thinking when he heard that? You want to hear what the Lord has commanded me to say? I don't even know why I'm here, much less a message prepared for you. <laughs> Talk about being put on the spot. Have you ever been in a situation like that? I remember in 1985, I was on a summer mission trip in Mexico, and we were traveling all over the place, going into cities and villages and having open-air meetings and sometimes in churches. And, and there, we were with this evangelist, this traveling missionary, and he was always the guy giving the messages. Um, but one day, he, he, we're, we're like, There's the meeting is going to be in a few hours, and he says, uh, Mark, why don't you bring the word tonight? So I thought, well, I'm, I signed up for this mission trip. It's supposed to be all about faith. I'm sure. Yeah, I'll bring the message. But inside, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> what am I going to say? I don't have time to prepare for that. <laughs> there was like a panic uh, in my spirit there. But the Lord gave me a word. And afterwards, about four people raised their hands and put their faith in Christ and we gathered and prayed for them. Peter was in a spot like that. Tell us what God has commanded you to say. And in the moment, God gave him what to say. And what did he say? It says he opened his mouth and he preached good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He preached the gospel. 
The observation here is that when you are open to God, to his spirit, you are going to get into situations that you didn't plan on. Situations you weren't ready for. Situations where God has to show up by his spirit or you're done. And that is by God's design because in those moments you have to rely on the Spirit to give you what you need. You can't fully prepare for what you're going to encounter. This is what people like me have trouble with. I like predictability. Which is another way of saying I like control. I like to know what's going to happen so I can prepare for it. But to follow the leading of the Spirit means putting yourself in situations where you have to rely on God to come through in the moment, and that requires faith, but God rewards faith. There's a saying, something to this effect, if you rely on man, you get what man can do, but when you rely on God, you get what God can do. I want to see what God can do. Don't you? But it will require being open to the Spirit and going into the unexpected and the unpredictable where we find His grace to be sufficient for us in our weakness. One more observation, then I'll close. Fourth thing we can expect if we leave room for the Spirit to work, we can expect God to do amazing things. We can expect God to do amazing things. What happened after Peter preached the gospel to this houseful of non-Christians who had been prepared by God to receive his message? Verse 44, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the, Spirit of, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. We'll have time to talk about speaking in tongues at a later date. But what I want to point out here is this beautiful combination of word and spirit that transforms people. He preached the word, he preached the gospel, and the Spirit fell. Word and Spirit, transformation. And the people who came with it were like, we didn't expect this. <laughs> the Gentiles receiving the same gift we've gotten didn't see that coming. They were amazed. They were amazed that the Spirit was poured out. Friends, do you expect God to do amazing things? Or have you come to the point in your life where you think, that couldn't happen here. That doesn't happen anymore. We don't see whole households converted and being that open, not in our culture, not in our city. Well, maybe that's because we're operating on only half of what Jesus gives us. Understanding God's word is part of it but relying on the Spirit is the other part. That's the combination that the Lord calls us to pursue, word and spirit. We want to grow in being a word and spirit church.
We want to hold fast to the Word of God, and we want to be open to the Spirit of God in all the ways He desires to operate. We want to see what God can do, not just what we can do. We want to make room for the Spirit. So let me just close with one question that needs to be asked. Does this replace the gospel of Jesus Christ as our center? We've said many times that the good news about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins is our central message. Does that change if we have an extended series on walking by the Spirit? No. That doesn't change. Because what is the Spirit given for except to glorify Jesus Christ and to draw attention to the good news that He is the Savior of the world? The power of the Spirit is for witness. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. That's why all these things are to happen, to give testimony to the transforming effect of Jesus who has entered the world and raised, raised from the dead. So no, it's not, a, it's not a diversion from our central goal, which is that Jesus be glorified, but it is a means for him to be more glorified, not only through teaching, but also through his power at work in us and in the lost. He said in John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will glorify me. That's what this series is ultimately about. I hope you'll stay with us for the whole series. We have much to learn. I have much to learn. Much to apply. And much to look forward to. Let's pray. So we, we start by acknowledging, Lord, that apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from the energy, apart from the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, uh, we don't want to exalt ourselves. And we don't want to limit you in, in just one of, your, one of your gifts, the gift of teaching. That is a legitimate gift. That is an important gift. We need that. You've given us other ones also. And, and there's a worldview, Lord, that, that I think you want to create in us to, to be expectant that you're powerful and here and available and that by, by seeking you, we will find you and you will do things that you wouldn't have done otherwise. So we ask, Lord, for faith. We, we know that there's, there's sides we could fall off on real easily on this. There's error on one side and the other. There's a line to walk, and we ask you, Lord, to help us to walk it. But let us not have fear. Lord, help put in us the same kind of expectations you put in the early church and the joy, the joy of the Spirit in them. We ask for that ourselves, and we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.